All right, y'all go ahead and make your way back to your seats. We're going to get started. As you guys make your way to your seats, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. If you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, and I am uh, one of the pastors here. Maybe I'll stop just a second to get you guys. Are you ready? All right. A short break. I know. We're trying to get you out on time. Try to do a better job with that. Uh, again, my name is Blake Hilgerfeld, one of the pastors here. We are grateful that you're here with us. If you're a guest, welcome. Um, there are some guest cards under the seat, maybe in front of you. Uh, so if you are a guest, we would love for you to fill that out for us and give us uh, your contact information. We're not going to bombard you with emails. We just want to follow up and say, hey, and get to know you better. Um, and so uh, you can fill that out and just stick it in one of these boxes back here. There's one back here between the bathrooms, but uh, these are probably the most natural ones for you to do. Uh, just drop that, uh, that little connect card in the box after the gathering. Um, and we will follow up with you. If you are a guest, let me just say this. We are going through a series on the book of Genesis. And so we find ourselves this morning in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite all of you to turn with me there. Genesis chapter 18. If you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe you're new with the Bible, it's at the very beginning of the Bible. So you just turn to the very front. Uh, there's some Bibles under the seat in front of you. Verses will eventually be on the screen as well. Let me just say this too, that... Uh, so as we've been going through Genesis, uh, the stories are kind of picking up. So they're going faster and faster, but they're, they're taking like big chunks of, uh, of text. And so I, I assume you don't want me to read uh, two chapters to you this morning. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to focus mainly on verses 16 through 33 uh, of, of chapter 18. Now I'm going to kind of hit some parts of 18 at the very beginning, and we're going to hit some of 19 throughout our time, but I'm not going to read that to you. Uh, we're just going to focus primarily on verses 16 to the end of uh, chapter 18. So let's read these verses together. Let's start in verse 16. Then the men sat out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Their Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do as such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abram answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes, and suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And Abraham uh, spoke to the Lord and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. 
Then he said, oh, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of the 20, I will not destroy it. Verse 32. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning, and it is a difficult and challenging word. And so, Father, we ask for your grace and mercy this morning to give us understanding, to give us eyes to see, to give us ears to hear. For we know, Father, that... Our eyes only see, see dimly. And for some of us, our eyes are blinded to the truth of who you are and what your purposes are in this world and what your purposes are in the future. And Father, those purposes are difficult at times for us to understand that we see in this text this morning that your righteousness comes against all that is unrighteous in this world and it's not easy for us to see that. It's not easy for us to deal with that. So Father, we ask that you would help us to see you for who you are, that you are a God who will judge the earth and it is right for you to do so, but we also see that you are a God full of mercy and grace and patience, but we also see that your patience will come to an end. But you give us hope as we see in your grace and mercy and as we see ultimately this morning in your son Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you will help us to see his glory, that we'd flee to him this morning and find salvation to him, and that we would see how we are to live in this world as your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I I didn't read this, but at the very beginning of chapter 18... Uh, we see God come to Abraham and uh, he shares a meal with Abraham. So, so God comes to Abraham in the, in the form or by way of three angelic men. So in, in our text that I just read, it, it's getting late, all right? So it's getting late. And so Abraham escorts uh, these three angelic men out of the, the, the tent. And so as the sun is going down, they stop. And they're kind of up on this plateau or up on this mountaintop and they're able to see in the distance and they're able to see Sodom and and Gomorrah. And so little does Abraham know, but he has really no clue on what is about to happen. So he has no clue that in a short period of time, he would once again be standing in this place looking out over Sodom and Gomorrah, but he would see something very, very, very different. He would see destruction. He would see the smoke rising up from the land, like the this, this smoke coming up from a, from a furnace. Little did Abraham know that in a short period of time, the Lord was actually going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah as a picture to show Abraham and his people how they are to live in this world, or really how not to live. So in just a short period of time, Abraham was going to to smell and see and experience the reality when the righteousness of God comes against all that is unrighteous and wicked in this world. 
And so it would serve as this picture and reminder to Abraham and actually you and me of how we are to live in this world as God's people. And it would serve as a reminder, it would show us the the devastating consequences, guys, of the righteousness of God that will one day come against this world. It came against the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the reality is we're going to see this morning, it will one day come against the city of Norman and us. It's not an easy story. It's not one that we should take lightly. It's not one that we should sleep through this morning. Because as we're going to see, we're going to see very clearly what God's purpose is for us as a church, how we are to live our lives in this world, or how we're, we're not to live our lives. And we're going to see that a day is coming when God's righteousness will come against all that is wicked and unrighteous in this world. That's where we're going. So may the Lord give us ears to hear. And may he give us eyes to see, for we are in desperate need of hearing and seeing this warning and seeing how we are to live out this calling and this purpose in this life. So the first thing that we notice, guys, the first thing that we kind of have to draw our attention to is that God chose Abraham for a purpose. So he he gave Abraham a purpose to which he had called him. Look at verse 17 again. The Lord said this. He said, He said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and of justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had promised. It's clear what God's purpose was in choosing Abraham. Abraham. It was for him to be this nation that blesses other nations. So in other words, Abraham and his descendants, they were to be this nation that God uses to bless all the other nations of the world. So essentially, they were to be this instrument that God would use to be his mouthpiece, to be his hands, to be his feet, to, to love and care and serve and bless all the other people groups and the nations of the world. That was their purpose. Today, there is still this mandate that God has chosen to use a nation to bless all the other nations of the world, but it is not the United States of America. It's the church. You see, the promise that God made to Abraham to make him this great and mighty nation that will bless all the other nations uh, of the world is actually fulfilled in and through the church of Jesus Christ. So now it's our calling. It is our purpose. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9. So, Peter is speaking to the church. He's speaking to to us. He's he's saying to, to, to you and me, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received, we received God's mercy. Listen, there is only one Christian nation. There's only one nation that God has chosen to bless this world, and it's not the United States of America. It is the church, for did Christ purchase this nation by his blood to be his own possession? No. He purchased 
the church. So what this means is, is that if you, yes, I mean, we were born into this great nation and we should love this nation. But listen, if you are in Christ this morning, if you love and you treasure Christ this morning, he chose you individually to save you, but he chose and saved you as an individual to be a part of this beautiful picture called the church, his own kingdom, his own nation, a royal priesthood for the purpose of blessing all the other nations of the earth and especially the city. So we have this kind of individualistic mentality when it comes to salvation. But listen, yes, he chose us as individuals, but he chose us to be a part of a people called the church. And this citizenship of this nation, of this kingdom, serving this king, this is one that's going to last forever. This is the only citizenship that's actually eternal. So, therefore, your allegiance to this nation, this king, this kingdom, this church, this people should be significantly more important than your allegiance to a, a nation where your citizenship will be buried with you in the grave. Yes, love this nation. Pray for this nation. Serve this city. But serve the church more. Commit to the church more. Love the church more. Commit your life to the church more because God has chosen us. He has saved us as individuals to be a part of this eternal family, this eternal nation, this eternal kingdom for the purpose of using us to bless this city and the nations. So that is the purpose for which he has called us. He's called us to be a part of a nation to bless. So the way in which we live our lives out in this world, in this city, in our workplaces, neighborhoods, schools, wherever we go is huge. Look at verse 18. He says, for I have chosen him that he command his children, the household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had promised him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So this calling is very, very, very clear, isn't it? They are to be a people. So Abraham and his descendants are, are to be this people that ultimately, guys, loves what God loves and hates what God hates. So essentially, they were to be this people that actually, with their lives, they reflect the very character and nature of God. And so we see clearly that God loves righteousness, doesn't he? He loves justice. And as a result of God loving righteousness and justice, he hates everything that is wrong in this world. And so through Sodom and Gomorrah, God gives Abraham this picture of ultimately of what not to be. He, he's saying, he's saying essentially to Abraham, he's saying, look out over the city of Sodom. Look out over the city uh, of Gomorrah. They are the exact opposite of the people that I'm calling you to be. And he says, I hear the outcry. I hear the outcry of my creation who I deeply love, who are being oppressed and brutalized by the unrighteousness and the injustice of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't be like these people. Be, be, be the exact opposite. Now, the Hebrew word for outcry 
in this text, in scripture, is often used to describe the cries of those who are being oppressed or brutalized. So let us kind of use our imagination for just a moment and let's, let, us, let us picture like the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let, let, let's, let's picture the people within Sodom and Gomorrah. When you, when, you, when you see Sodom and Gomorrah, think about the widows and the orphans who are in that city and they are being neglected. They are being ignored. Think about the suffering of uh, of, of the oppressed foreigners who, who have no home, who have no, no place to go. I mean, I mean, think about the poor and needy who have no food and are left to just simply die on the streets. I mean, think about those who have power and use their power to oppress and neglect the weak and the mar marginalized. I mean, think about the elderly of the city who are encouraged to get on with business of dying and left all alone. God sees it. And he hears the cries of those who are being oppressed and those who are being brutalized. And so what should our response be? I mean, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah's response is to neglect and oppress the weak and the needy. There was indifference. There was murder. There was selfishness. There was self-centeredness. There was greed, covetousness, injustice. There was wickedness. There was unrighteousness. And God is saying to Abraham, do not be like them. Flee from them. I'm calling you to be a different people. I'm calling you to be a new community. I'm calling you to be a community that lives within this unrighteousness and this wickedness, but I'm calling you to be a people who live out righteousness and justice among this. And here's the reality for us, guys. This is now our calling. This is now the calling that's upon the church. God is calling his people, the church, in this city to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And the reality is, is nothing has changed with God. He still hears the cries of those who are being oppressed and brutalized. He still hears the cries of those who are being neglected and those that, that, that people just walk by and are being indifferent to. And he's calling you and he's calling me to be a different kind of community. A community who actually loves and serves and blesses this city by the way in which we live out our lives. So the question is this, I mean, do you hear the cries of the widow and the orphan in this city? God is calling us to be a people who respond to their cries and care for them and not be indifferent to them. I mean, do, do you see a, a, a person or a people who need a place to live? God is calling us to be a city. He's calling us to be a, a, a nation is calling us to be a people within the city, within the nations, we're, we're, to, to provide a place for people to live. And, and maybe you're opening up your home to someone who needs a place to live. I mean, when you think about the people who are poor and needy in this city, do we, do we just walk by them and ignore them and don't give them anything to eat? Or what about the foreigner who comes into the city? Are we hospitable? I mean, think about those who are being battered and, and bruised. Think about the unborn. I mean, are we fighting on their behalf? For who will love, guys, who will love and who will care for the needy and the oppressed and the brutalized people in this city? It is us. It is you and me. It's the church. 
We are called to be this extension. We are called to be this instrument of our great God who loves and serves and cares and blesses the people of the city. So here's the question. Do our lives reflect that? So here's my encouragement to you. As you go throughout this week, in your families, in your missional communities, as a people, we begin to ask the question, who is God calling us to serve? Who's God, who, who's God uh, calling us to, to bless and, and care for? It, it may be a neighbor who is in need. It may be someone you meet on the street. It, it, it may be a family member. It may be someone or some family in this church. I, I'm not sure who God is calling us to serve, but the reality is he's calling us, and, and, and the needs are great, aren't they? If we just open up our eyes, open up our hands, and we take steps of faith, and we walk in it, and we bless this city, there are many, 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 many opportunities to serve and bless this city. He's calling us to be a people who love what he loves and hate what he hates. And so the question is, let's... Let's flush this out. Like, what does this actually look like for us as a people? How, how do we become a people who love what he loves and reflects the character and nature of God to the people of the city? How, what does this look like? How do we do this? Well, let's look at how Abraham responds to God. I think there's a, a couple things that we can see within this that we can take and begin to apply to live rightly and live justly in the city. Look at verse 22. So here's, here's Abram's response. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just. So here we see this, this godlike compassion come out of Abraham. It's, it, it's flowing out of him. And so at this point, all Abraham can really do was pray, right? So he comes before the God of all creation. He comes before God the judge. And he comes on behalf of the people of Sodom and he pleads mercy. He says, have mercy upon them. But notice who he prays for. So he, he doesn't just pray for the righteous, does he? He also prays for the unrighteous. So like this lawyer, he comes before God and he uses the law and he uses the truth to plead his case before the God, the judge. And this is what, essentially what he's saying. He's like, God, I know that you're just. And so therefore, because you are just and, and because you always do what is right, you will not let the righteous perish with the wicked. But he's also asking this. He's also asking, will you let the wicked live for the sake of the righteous? He says in verse 24, he says, whether well, you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it. So essentially what he's doing is saying, God, hey, if there are any righteous people in this city, will you take the righteousness of a few and will you place it and count it for the, un the unrighteousness of a many and spare their lives? This is huge, guys. This is really, really, really important for us. As we walk through this, as we continue to see this request that essentially asking God, will you take the righteousness of another and count it towards someone who is unrighteous 
and spare and save their lives. This is a bold and amazing request. It's a compassionate request, isn't it? I mean, here we have Abraham compassionately pleading on behalf of all peoples, the righteous and the unrighteous. And so the question is, do we pray like Abraham? Or do we find it hard to pray for those we feel like don't deserve God's mercy and grace? You see, there is this tendency within the church to have this us versus them mentality, right? Like this, this righteous versus unrighteous, this immoral versus immoral. Now, we just saw that the calling upon our lives is to live rightly and to do justly. So we should live out the character and nature of God for all to see. But there is this danger for us at times to love our righteousness in such a way that will cause us to be hard and indifferent and shun and not care for those who are not like us. And this happens, listen very carefully, this happens when we forget This happens when we forget the fundamental truth of the gospel that apart from Christ, we are unrighteous too. Let us not forget what made Abraham actually right before God. It wasn't his righteousness. It wasn't his goodness. It was actually God. It was his faith and trust in God, which then God declared Abraham as right before him. And therefore he says, live rightly. And and the same is true for us. So what makes you and me and anyone in this city, what makes us right before a holy and righteous God is not our own righteousness, it's not our own goodness, it's not our own works of righteousness. It is being covered by the perfect righteousness of Christ. So here's the reality. If you are in Christ this morning, do you understand and do you see that it was God who came to you And if God did not come to you and give you eyes to see and connect you to Jesus and have his righteousness cover you, then you would be counted among the unrighteous this morning. You'd be separated and cut off from Christ. If God did not come to you and call you out of darkness into his marvelous light, you would have no desire this morning for God and to live out his way. You would have no love for him whatsoever this morning. You would be lost and you would continue to be in darkness. And so the fact that God came to you and called you to himself and gave you eyes to see and convicted your heart and showed you the beauty of Jesus and your need for Jesus is an act of God's sovereign grace. Therefore, Shouldn't this cause us then to be very gracious and merciful to others? Shouldn't it cause us to to have this godlike compassion like Abraham did and plead on behalf of the city that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in the city would receive the grace and mercy found in Christ? It should not produce this us versus them mentality. It should produce us getting on our knees like Abraham, pleading on behalf of God that his grace and mercy will be poured out upon this city. Because here is the reality, guys. If you've checked out, check back in. If you're falling asleep, please wake up. Because here is what we need to see. And seeing our hope and my prayer is that this would break us this morning. That God is patient and merciful. He actually agreed. He agreed with Abraham. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. 
If there's X amount of righteous, yeah, I'll, I'll spare the city. But the reality and truth is that God's patience will come to an end. And we see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because in the end, they were destroyed for their unrighteousness and their wickedness. Because in the end, there was no one perfectly righteous to count their righteousness towards the unrighteous and spare the city. And we see this devastating consequence of the righteousness of God come against the unrighteousness and wickedness of the world. And we see that it is right for God to judge the world. It is right. It's part of his character. It's part of his nature. He cannot let unrighteousness and wickedness just just run rampant. He has to judge. And we see that he judged the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the reality and the hard truth for us today is this day is coming where he's going to do it again. Jesus says this. Matthew 10, 14 and 15. He says, if anyone will not receive you and listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Jesus is saying to his disciples that those who reject our message, those who reject the gospel today are more liable for a more intense judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of destruction. This day is coming. The day when Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come and return in all of his glory. And on that day, all peoples of the earth, all peoples of the city, you and me, all peoples of the nations, we are going to stand before him and we're going to give an account for the lives in which we lived in this world. Everything, guys, everything in our lives, the the inmost secrets of our hearts are going to be revealed and they're going to be displayed for the Lord Jesus to see and all the earth to see. And when that day comes, what's, like, what are we going to say? What's our defense going to be? What's our justification going to be when we know, when our conscience tells us, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not right. Don't live into it. And we do. The reality is, on that day, when he returns... The reality of Romans 1.18 is going to set in. The wrath of God will be revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And the fate of the unrighteous in this world will be the same fate as those that were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we will taste and experience the reality and the devastating consequences when God's holy righteousness comes against their unrighteousness, wickedness in in our lives. And our only hope is the same hope for those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Our only hope is to receive a perfect righteousness that none of us have. That God will actually count it as our righteousness and spare our lives. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah did not have it, but in God's great mercy and grace to us, he gives it to us. He provides it for us. Namely, in the God-man Jesus Christ. You see, listen very carefully. This is the greatest promise of God. This is the greatest news for us to hear. This is the greatest news for the people of the city to hear. This is the greatest news for all the peoples of the earth that for every single person who flees to Christ and receive him, God will cover you, cover them in the perfect righteousness of Christ and spare their lives. 
the message that God has for this world is this. You, you who are unrighteous, you who are, who are wicked, if you come to my son and you look to him, I will treat you as righteous because I will give you the righteousness of my son. He took your sin upon himself on the cross, bore my wrath in your place, and I cover you with his righteousness and I spare you. As he promises us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, most of us know this, this verse, for our sake, for our sake, in our helpless state, in our hopeless state, guys. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we can become what? The righteousness of God. There is hope. There is hope for us. There's hope for this city. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. And because there is hope, listen, Abraham, the only thing that he could do was really pray. But guys, we get the greatest privilege of living out the, the, the most righteous and blessed thing that we can ever, ever do. And that is to carry this message of hope to a people of the city who desperately need to hear that there is a way to escape the coming judgment of God. The greatest thing that we can do as the church, the greatest act of blessing this city is taking this message that there is salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest news that we can declare among a people in this city is that God still desires to save. Because listen to this, guys. The story is not yet complete, is it? I mean, as we sit here and we, and we look out over the, the, the city of Norman, it's not destroyed. God's patience is still here. He is still in this time, in this season today, his mercy and grace is still available. It is still for, available for all to, 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 to receive and to hear. But they have to hear. They have to hear. For how did you, how did you hear? How, how did you hear about Jesus? How, how did you hear that, that if, if you come to Christ, if you flee to Christ, that God will count the righteousness of Jesus in your account and spare your life and now you have salvation? How did you hear that? Someone told you. Someone was bold enough to tell you. We didn't read this part of the story, but later on in the story, uh, Lot goes to his son-in-laws and he tells them, he says, hey, destruction's coming. And they laugh at him. They mock him. You will be mocked. We will be laughed at. If we're bold enough to go and proclaim this, this, this warning, this news, I mean, you can't have the good news without the bad news. So we can't just share the good news. We gotta, we gotta tell people the reality that his day is coming when God will come to judge the world for their unrighteousness and wickedness. Now listen, if we, don't, if we don't believe, right? If we don't believe that there is a coming judgment, then we will remain silent, right? Or if we believe that God is just all love and he will not deal with the unrighteousness and wickedness in the world, then we're gonna remain silent. But guys, if we are awakened if we're waking to this truth and this reality, 
that there will, de- will be a day when God will come and Jesus will come and hold everyone accountable for their actions. And we see ourselves in light of who God is and we see ourselves as actually what we actually deserve. And we see it's right for God to punish us for our sins and we cry out to him for mercy and we flee to Christ and we taste the experience, the good news of the gospel. When, we, when that happens in our lives, when we are tasting the, the, the good news that, that we actually, are, our sin is forgiven. Now, if we don't see our sin, then we're not gonna see the good news and we're not gonna taste it. We won't be a people that are full of freedom and joy because we don't see it. But if we see it and we taste it, Worship increase, and then also causes us to go and live lives that God is calling us to live. To live rightly, to live justly, and proclaiming this news of salvation in Jesus Christ. So are we going to be this people? You want to be this people? It's not easy. It's not easy. And he never promised it's going to be easy. All throughout scripture, there is the calling to go and also the telling us there's suffering. There'll be mocking. You'll be made fun of. But if this is true, we can't afford to be anything less than the people that God has called us to be. For his glory and for the sake of those who are perishing in this city. We have the hope. We have the cure. Will we go and share it? Let's pray.